You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. On 11.16 SEM, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 30. Will he set it up or have a crack? Oh! He's going to have a crack! Oh! oh boom! <laughs> Charlie Kernow slaps it through from 55 metres. Now it's all Sydney in the middle. Bronk. High ball. Is this Buddy's moment? He can't get there in time. Free kick. Free kick Frank to Frank. Here we go. Here's the first. 20 metres out, directly in front. Bang. Makes no mistake. And for all of Carlton's good work in this first quarter, Sydney now hold the lead. Free kick or Mark Payne. Might be the Mark Payne that went in there and yep. Silvani outmarked Smith. Can he boost his confidence from 35 metres out? He can. Just hangs on for a goal. And their bright and positive start continues. Then Rock oh. in the middle. Nice mark taken. Great job. One now. Must go now, Rock. Chips to half forward. Nice option. Hayward marks. He's got Hewitt running on, but Franklin will mark instead. Oh, oh. This is the big dog's yard. Oh. Wow. And he nails his second. And are we just starting to see a couple of cracked surface in Carlton? He keeps on that path, taking them wide to half forward. Rowan and Buddy will be next for sure. He, he got a bit of a cruncherama from Rose at 50. Went into him with your yeah. head. Yep, come with me. He kicks it from the goal square. The deal is well and truly sealed at the SCG. On nights like these, you just take the four points and move along, and that's what the Swans can do. Now, if we hit the scoreboard a bit more effectively, you know, as far as shots are go, we probably missed a few tonight. It ends up being a, a bit, bit better win, but you're always after that even performance, and you know, we didn't have too many standouts tonight. The Swans keep a firm grip on their place in the top four with sterner tests to come. Sydney coach John Longmire is our headline guest. We were right in the game, particularly even into the third quarter. Some set shots really hurt us that quarter. I think we kicked four points in the third when the game was right on, and at that point of the game, we had enough inside 50s. Well, some of our turnovers with ball in hand, and then some defensive 50 stoppage goals against in that third quarter. There were some free kicks. There's a little bit to learn from that, but we're in the fight for most of the game. The Dogged Blues take baby steps along the path of developments. We'll touch base with Carlton. This is a campaign not lost on injury. This is a campaign lost on desire. Spoke to Jack after the game, uh, resolved everything, and just disappointed we won't be able to play the next couple of games with the guys. Be very clear, people are not welcome at football who are going to fight, and uh, that'll be hopefully very clear at every game over the weekend. I'd have someone say that, you know, it's obviously changed my brain, and <clears throat> they can't really tell you what they are, like, they're just there, but yeah, it's tough. The reason the priority piece wasn't even thought about and hasn't been mentioned and we're not interested in it is, you know, we're really confident in the plan and we're really confident in, in the kids that we've been able to bring in. I would just like to thank the game in general. It's been an incredible part of my life. It gave me a chance to have a life. Yeah, some kids may not get that chance.
We revel in a Legends and the Hall of Fame inductions, the possibilities contained in this Indigenous round, and all 18 coaches on the slippery slope for Neil Danaher. It's all in the crunch. It's another massive edition of Crunch Time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. was competitive. It serves Sydney's purposes particularly well. And for Carlton, they've won two of their last 21, but the green shoots were there last night. Maybe it'll be best remembered for one of the great on-field pieces of banter, Dane Rampey. Three votes. Gerard Waitley with you for crunch time. Uh, I think Hall of Famers get right of way these days. So Terry Wallace, welcome Terry. Hello Gerard, how are you going? Uh, yeah, been a busy week for both of us. Uh, how was last night to see live? Yeah, it wasn't a highlight of a game, I wouldn't have thought. I didn't think it got to any great uh, stages being up there. You know, the fans weren't really uh, absolutely uh, getting into the game uh, 100%, but uh, Sydney got the job done as they needed to. I think you're right with Carlton. I think I've done them live over the last two weeks now down at Geelong and then obviously last night up in Sydney. I think that they're showing signs and I'm just hoping that the Carlton supporter base can see enough to you know, to stick it out because it is a hard time when you're you know, not getting results. Kane Corns, I heard you yesterday with the suggestion from some that they'd rather mow the grass in the dark than watch last night. There are a few choices. You could watch the Socceroos in a practice match. You could watch Test Cricket from England or you could stick with it. Did you stick with it? No, well, my son was playing Friday night footy, so I saw the, the his game and then got home and saw a little bit of the second half and... Yeah, I think I missed the best half. I think the first half, clearly by the scoreline, was the better one. And uh, there wasn't many highlights on TV as well, Plough. So another disappointing Friday night, unfortunately. Next week, let's hope it's a little bit better with Richmond coming to Adelaide to take on Port Adelaide. That should be a good one. And Bob Murphy completes our foursome. He's in Launceston for the key match between the Hawks and the Power. Hello, Bob. Good morning, Jared. Morning, Plough. Kane, how are you all? Great to be with you. Yeah, I'm down in... Uh... Crisp Tasmania. It's, it's, it's a bit chilly, but the sun is shining bright, so it's perfect perfect conditions for footy down here. What did you make of last night? Oh, I think it, it went to the script pretty much, didn't it? I, th- I, I think a few of us, uh, many of us maybe, were sort of just bracing, hoping that, that Carlton wouldn't get blown out of the, blown out of the water, and, and they certainly didn't do that. I think they, you know, they showed plenty of promise, and at halftime they were, they were well in the contest, and then, it, and then you know, pretty mature pretty mature performance by the seasoned uh, Sydney Swans who were just too good in the end. But yeah, no no great surprises last night. Didn't get out of the chair to celebrate too many times. We'll do the serious stuff in a moment, but Dane Rampey, this was absolutely first class. <laughs> and you're preventing him from leading. Clark, I would be happy with that. Did you have a coffee with him too? For someone who didn't mind a word on the field game, you'd have to go, oh, I salute that. As good as I've seen now, there still is room in the game for a witty little sledge. And just goes to show player the players and Bob, don't miss too much. And I know John Longmire wasn't too happy about it a couple of weeks ago. We'll ask him this morning, but clearly his players um, a little bit upset as well. Yeah, look, I thought it was brilliant. And uh, yeah, I'm thinking that from the other side of it, they, the umpire would have just had a bit of a chuckle yes. as well. It sort of just got on with life very, very quickly. But uh, oh, yeah, look, there's still a place for that in the game. So Rampy and Grundy Bob were the two players who were singled out in the discussion. So he's clearly, he has taken it to heart. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> no, the, 
clearly, clearly from that. Can't wait to talk to John Longmire a little bit later on. Often players <laughs> very much influenced by the by the mood of the senior coach and what and what and what goes across their desk and what goes across their mind. But yeah, really well executed by Dane. And I, do, I just love the little just the dismissive umpire reply at the end. Thanks, thanks, Dane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <that> was <laughs> almost conce- almost conceding a points loss there. So they're eight and three, Terry. The Swans is. I know through the first part of the season when they were accumulating wins, you were a bit of a holdout on them. Yeah. And it's still every time they win, you go, "Oh, where are you on the Swans?" I'm exactly the same spot. I've seen all of their games live, with the exception of round one, which was probably their best game over in Perth, and I wasn't down. I've watched every game, but uh, wasn't down in Geelong and wasn't in Perth, but all the others I go up every time they play at the SCG I'm at their games up there and that's been, they're not playing great footy at home, Mm. they've actually played better footy away than what they've played at home I I think their midfield are just going, if you have a look at uh, Josh Kennedy's numbers at the moment, he's saving his uh, games by last quarters, he's playing some really good football, the Geelong game stands out as the absolute uh, most outstanding one but even again last night you could go back through three or four other games that I've witnessed up there that struggling early and I get to the stage where you're looking at the other sides Kane in the competition you know you get to half time and you start having to look through the numbers and the top four or five players are all midfielders of recent time with Sydney and their numbers are always down that you don't get as big a uh, massive numbers Mm in Swans games is what you do in, in some other games of football. But in their games, it's all their half-backs out of the leading possession gatherers nearly every single week when it uh, when it comes to that. So that's been um, a little bit of a surprise. I don't think they've been as dominant through the middle of the ground. I think one of the saving graces for them has been their kids. Mm. Oh, you know, uh, Haywood again, a couple of goals last night. Florent playing a little higher up the ground on a wing. Uh, Ronk was solid again. With you know, He's not going to do what he did in that uh, game that you called, Jared, the, you know, the seven-goal game. But those guys have just had a little bit more spark to the lineup. So I think that that's helped them. But uh, There's not many sides in this competition right as we speak that are absolutely fly. You know, I think you'd say West Coast, Melbourne are the two right at the moment. Yep. Now, Richmond winning, but just doing what they need to do to win. Sydney winning, but just doing what they need to do to win. I can't say I'm sitting here absolutely, totally convinced yet. Yeah, well, and I think they're, you spot them with their midfield. They've got another couple of gears to go, and they will need to to compete and to potentially get top four. Parker's been a little bit doing, doing his bits and pieces, but not to the dominant level of a couple of years ago. Kennedy, you said, 12 possessions last quarter, saved him again. But Hanabry's the one for me, really, really down on form. He looks like, I've played on him a lot of times, Dan Hanabry, and as good a player in terms of covering the ground, high metres game, tough, contested, complete midfielder. But he looks completely banged up. Doesn't look right, no, does he? he looks like he needs a month off. And, and one of the questions I've got for John Longmire is, well, what is just going on? Have, have you just got him to 200 games and then perhaps we need to you need to manage him? Because... He is the key to them because they've got the inside stuff with Heaney and Kennedy and Parker. They need the outside class, and that's what Hanbury gave you, so they're missing out on that. But look, they're sitting in third and doing what they need the to do. The biggest win for them last night, I went up there sort of saying, okay, what chance has Carlton got? Okay, Carlton a chance in this game. Cruiser needs to have a yep. really big game and drive it forward. Cripps needs to be a, yeah, the real bull in the middle of the ground. Both of those guys lost their jewels. Uh, their direct opponents 
you know, Sinclair and Hewitt, mm. we're, to me, we're in the best three or four players on the ground. So that was, the to me, the real strength of the Sydney win last night was getting those guys to actually be able to step up and beat Carlton's very best. Bob, where are you on the Swans? Yeah, a little bit like a little bit like Terry. I'm just not quite sure. And I think from here, what are we round eleven? That you know they're doing. They've they've got themselves into third position. They're not setting the world on fire. So the the question I have is, are they just beginning to build their momentum? And are they going to show us the the best of themselves, or is is this their is this their level now? I'm interested with the the. The, you know how well they've played away from home and 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 you know somewhat a bit off, a bit jaded at home. How, how different are the Swans these days to the side we've known them to be for such a long time? Because they were they were the famous famous Bloods culture of lots of stoppages, slow ball movement, um, just create the slowing the game down. How, how different are they now to what they were then? Because the SCG being that was that it sort of suited that SCG style, whereas now maybe their style has moved away from to suiting suiting the SCG. What do you guys think about well, that? I, I think they are different, no doubt. I mean, uh, when you just have a look at the numbers from last night, so they were beaten in clearance, and that's not normally you know the Swans' trait, and they were basically over a thousand meters more gained than their opposition. So they're playing a more running outside running flowing style of play than what they used to play before. I think that there's no doubt that those younger guys that have come into the side have added a little bit of that and the maturity of guys like uh, Lloyd, you know, Platt Jones, those sort of guys uh, have added a more flow to their game. So uh, I think they've compensated a little bit, come off in one area and improved marginally in another. On the Carlton side of things, um, Silvani showed... Showed good glimpses. I thought he was close night. to best on ground at half time. Yep. Uh, he really did tire in the game. I thought his ability being up there, they played him through the middle uh, marginally and also up forward, so the dual role. But I thought the ability to get up the ground at times freed him up a little bit and you know, allowed him. Uh, he kicked like, certainly one of his two goals was from a midfield role rather than a forward line role. I, I, I think the role, I hope they give him a month in that type of role. So, uh, no, he was okay. And the, the younger boys, I, I thought that was probably Petreski seaton as well as what he's played this year. I th- thought he's just been a little down on, on performance, but better, I thought, Wietering was better last night than what he's been in, in recent times. And they fixed up, Kane, they fixed up what was a glaring weakness for him a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Liam Jones was exposed by the Melbourne Footy Club where they just kept taking him back to the goal line the whole time. They didn't do that mm. last night. Last night it was Rowe always the deeper defender and Jones always the front one in front of um, Buddy who could come back and fly for his marks knowing that Rowe would always be behind. That works better for them. Mm. I just don't think Jones likes to be exposed deep. He was much better last night. Seven intercept marks he took. Liam Jones, I don't want to continually knock uh, Carlton, Jared and, and Plough, but... Have we overestimated the strength of their young talent coming through? I look at the players that played last night. The A-graders, genuine ones that are going to be a star. We know about Kerno, We know about Cripps. So tick, done. Then I'm not as convinced on the next level. Look, I think Petrovsky-Seaton will get there and he'll be a 200-game player. 
Um, after that, Weedering, I've got a question mark next to him, although I think he'll probably make it. Silvani showed signs, as you said, but question mark once again. McKay, question mark. He's not wasn't in the side last night due to injury. Dow, we think, is going to be a good player, and you can't judge him too harshly in his first year. But if you look at their side compared to Brisbane, I think Brisbane have got more talent coming through in their younger ranks when the players that they've got. So I'm just not as optimistic as what the Carlton supporters are. Look at Brisbane. You've got Andrews, you've got Witherden, you've got Hipwood, McGluggage, Rayner, Charlie Cameron, still a young man. Berry's going to be a star. So right now, I'd rather be Brisbane than I would be Carlton. And I'm just not as optimistic that all of those young stars that they keep talking about. Kane Little spoke about it pre-game last night. Uh, call me a little bit cynical, but I'm just not as convinced. So they won one of 10 on the way home last year. They've won one of 11 on the way out this year. They come home with six at Etihad and two at the MCG. So eight of 11 uh, based in Melbourne. They've got trips to the Gabba and to Metricon and to play Fremantle at Optus Stadium. Mm. Is oh, that's when oh. They need to be winning games in the second half of the season. Absolutely they do. I mean, it's just... Then that's why I suppose off the top, I sort of said, I hope their supporter base stick with what's going on at the moment. But it gets tested. I can remember speaking with you a couple of weeks ago. You sort of said, you know, if a side starts going three wins mm. and 18 losses, how does that uh, how does that look? Eventually, it does catch up with you, Jared. And, uh, and that'll be the same with everyone at Carlton. They'll start getting analysed and scrutinised. I mean, I've been in exactly that position as a coach where uh, we stripped it back, tried to be young, tried to play young players and didn't play finals for five years, the natives get very mm. restless. And the players start to notice. So 2011, just speaking from your own experience, because that's what you draw back on, we won three games at Port Adelaide. 2012, we won five, and Matthew Promise lost his job towards the end of 2012. As a player, when you roll out there and it comes halfway through the last quarter and the scoreboard starts showing pictures of the coach and you're under pressure, you feel it as a player. And no it doubt. sort of, it, it, it is, it spreads through the playing group. So at some point, it's not there yet, but at some point, this club will really... With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Start to feel the pressure if they can't do what you say they need to do, Jared, in the back half of the year. John Longmire, the Sydney coach, about to join us. This is crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. On 11.16 SEN, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 30. Reflecting on Sydney's 30-point win over Carlton last night, which has the Swans at 8-3 and three at the halfway mark. And John Longmire, the Swans coach, is with us on Crunch Time. John, good morning. Morning, Jared, everyone. What did you take from last night? Uh, well, most importantly, the four points. Yes. It's uh, the key one, the obvious one, but... Um... Oh, look, you know, we're, we're still uh, working on, on playing some good four quarters of good footy. We thought that Carlton, going into the game, had played pretty well against um, Geelong at Geelong last week. So we weren't expecting an easy game by any means. And, um, and we got a real arm wrestle. 
We're debating all sorts of possibilities here, John. Is it possible that this incarnation of the Swans is not as well suited to the SCG as previous ones under your watch have been? Uh, how's that? Was that? In the style of play. Um, well, we've only... Uh, we've lost one game by 10 points, another game by two points at the SCG. So um, uh, our record's probably... You know, whilst it's not... not absolutely perfect we've only lost by um, a couple of kicks both times and we've just did a couple of things wrong in the last five minutes of the game the north game in particular that we lost but um no no we're more than comfortable with the scg yeah so same as ever well we're evolving our team i mean our, our team's clearly evolving we've got a lot of new players coming in a lot of kids particularly in our front half and um and so you know it's not going to be perfect the whole time and i think you've just got to look at that rather than look at some of the other reasons we're not we're not, um, you know, we've got some some young players in our teams now, and um, and we're just getting used to playing good competitive football wherever it is, whether it's SCG or any ground. John, love love some of the young kids that you've uh, you've brought in over the last twelve months or so. Yeah, you know, I think Ollie Florent just keeps improving all the time. I was up there last last night at the game, but uh, Hayward, yeah, you know, his consistency in being able to get onto the scoreboard has been excellent. Uh, Ronk, uh, we no one ever expected him to do what he did in that uh, that game against the, the Hawks, but uh, yeah, certainly adds a little bit of effervescence to your, to your game. Are you seeing your boys in the middle of the ground? Uh, Josh, who uh, seems to be playing better later in the games than necessarily early, early in the games, and particularly mm. Dan Hanbury. How how are you seeing your boys travelling along just at the moment? You, oh. you, you've got wins. I mean, so that's all you need to do is bank them at the moment. Mm. Yeah, look, you know, first of all, you probably are, you know, it's hard to win <laughs> games of footy these days. It's really difficult. So even um, regardless of where the teams on the ladder, Brisbane last week were... Um, Really difficult and in good form, and so so it is. It is hard to win, but you know we we um, our senior boys have been going okay, um, but they've set such high standards as a group um, for such a long time. So um, you know they're they're probably not at those levels that they've been in in the past, but that was a pretty high level. And um, the reality is that um, you know we'd look, you know if they could play better, that'd be terrific. But they they do set the bar high and. It has given the opportunity and the necessity to, to for younger players to come through and, and really contribute. Um, you know, last night we had Stoddart um, as well. Obviously, Hayward, you mentioned um, you mentioned Florent, who's been really good. Um, those kids have been stepping up, and um, and we hope to get a bit more consistent performance out of our senior group as well. John, I'm not sure there's a more admired player in the comp than Dan Hanabry, but he is struggling. He's averaging under 20 disposals for the first time in a long time. Hasn't even scored so far through his seven games this year. How banged up is he? And is there a point where you need to perhaps give him another rest? Uh, he was actually pretty good last week, Kane, um, against Brisbane. He had a lot of contested footy and um, he was actually pretty good last week. He was quiet last night. Um, he copped an early hit in the game. Uh, how much that affected him, I'm not sure. Um, you know, we, we are mindful of that style of footy he plays. He, he plays a very combative style of footy um, and we know that, but... You know, he's, uh, he was a bit quiet last night, there's no denying that, but um, you know, we, we're confident he's still okay. I didn't talk to him immediately after the game, but um, you know, I'll get a report on him during the week. Jared McVeigh, is there a chance he could go on? Because he's having a pretty solid Jeez, year. He's been good. Uh, yeah, he's been really good. I mean, um, you know, he's at the moment he's retiring at the end of this year. I mean, that's, that's what the plan is. Uh, we haven't had any discussions contrary to that. Um, but he's been playing well. He's, um, you know, he's really contributing. Uh, every week, and um, you know, but um, you know, we haven't had any of those discussions yet. Um, you know, the, the plan was set at the end of last year, and 
we haven't we haven't spoken about any adjustment of that at all at this point. Bob Murphy with John Longmire. Oh, I'm not sure. Must have dropped Bob out might have dropped out. Yeah, we'll get that John, line back. Johnny, uh, just last night, I sat there last night and thought, well, if Carlton are going to have a chance in this game, Cruiser and Cripps need to have a you know, a big part to play. I, I thought that uh, the two blokes who mostly played on them, being Callum Sinclair and George Hewitt, were in the best three or four players on the ground. So to me, that was a big win for your team. Yeah, look, um, we understand that, uh, you know, everyone understands the competition. Cruiser and Cripps are really key players. So, um, you know, they're, they're very important players. Um, uh, we think that Callum did a reasonable job last night. He's, you know, he's been in pretty good form this year for us. Um, not only in the ruck and around the ground getting the ball, but pushing forward and hitting the scoreboard. He did that a couple of times last night, which is important. Uh, Cripps was probably a, looked a little bit banged up. Yeah, he was um, very sore after that. I was down at Geelong last week. He looked real sore at the end of that game. Yeah, yeah. And look, you know, we we can't do much about that, obviously, other than just um, George and Luke Parker and a few others playing through that part of the ground did a pretty good job. But he, he probably looked a bit sore. Um, John, the the Clarkson debate around blocking. It was obviously, Dane Rampey took that rather personally. Is that is that fair? <laughs> Well, what I just mentioned by him in the in the press <laughs> would that be fair? So I mean, that's just um, you know, that's what you know, he was named in the post in by by Alistair, so you can understand his reaction to that. So has it been a a present conversation around your club between your players? Ah, uh, not that I know of. No, no, not not unless it was the way it was addressed during the week um, when I spoke publicly about it on the Monday. But um, really, since then, it hasn't been a big issue in terms of the cheeky little sledge towards the umpire. That's as good as it gets, isn't it, John? <laughs> Not a bad one-liner, was it, Jeff? <laughs> it was good. <laughs> do, do you feel like you've been able to reach peace on that front, or is that going to bubble away now that it's been brought to attention? No, I mean, I, I'm on the public record of saying, and so is Alistair, we spoke on the Wednesday afterwards, so um, no, we're fine. We're, we're fine with that. John, I heard um, Dean Cox speak pre-game and he said that Buddy's inability to train this year has, has stood out. He's hardly trained since round one when he had that sore Achilles. But is he back training now with the main group and, and what sort of shape is he in? Yeah, okay. Look, he didn't train um, since he got injured in round one for about uh, six weeks. And um, he's been back training the last few weeks. Um, he's sort of trained for... You know, 15, 20 minutes the first week and probably the same the second week. Actually, this week he actually trained for the whole session, um, which is a good sign. But we're we're not, um, you know, we're, we're certainly wary of the injury that he's got. Um, I don't think it's going to go away quickly. We're just hoping it gets better week by week. And, um, you know, we're, we're mindful of trying not to train him too much so you don't get him too sore for game day. So getting that balance is the challenge that we're all faced with probably for a number of weeks. So how did you find your, your forward 50 movement last night with their double banking of Buddy? Obviously, Rowe always playing behind him, Jones always being the man to uh, to come off and try to intercept in front of him. How did that go? At, at times, you, you got him a little higher or he got himself a little higher up the ground. That opened up other options. How did yeah. you find all that playing out? Yeah, well, look, we know you're going in the game, Terry, that, that, that's probably the case, particularly when we didn't have a lot of tall marking options in our front half, um, and they had a few tall marking options as far as defenders. So we, we knew that. I mean, apart from centre bounces, really, we were six on six. We were trying to be in front of the ball um, to make them accountable. But uh, at times, we were probably in, in the wrong position. Uh, but it's also good for for Lance to get up the ground. So he hasn't got, they have, don't have a reference point, I guess. Um, so when he gets higher up the ground... 
they don't have that reference point, and he's a he's a beautiful field kick. So uh, we like we like him to start in different areas, and and um, you know at times some of our younger forwards got a little bit high as well, but uh, they're still working through that and still learning. John, I know I'm going to be bleating the obvious that he's a pretty amazing player here, but this is more for our listeners out there. I thought he had a reasonably quiet night, yet when you sort of start to unravel, I jump back on the plane today, he had second most kicks for Sydney. He had six inside 50s, which was the most for Sydney. He had 578 metres game, which was the number one of any player on the ground and had five scoring shots. Yeah, he doesn't set a bad standard. It's <laughs> oh, not a bad standard, you it is, um, it is mindful when you're comparing his game. Do you compare it to him and at his best or do you compare it to his impact on the game? And, and uh, we discussed that during the week quite often. Um, you know, he's the impact according to the game or the impact according to Lance. Yeah. And uh, he does set a high standard. And, and um, you know, but it isn't just about Lance. Or it isn't just about Josh Kennedy. It's about, you know, Isaac Kennedy and Callum Sinclair and uh, George Hewitt, Ollie Florent. You know, there's a... There's a number of other players there that we've um, been really happy with and, and uh, everyone rowing the boat, what the name of the game is. Bob? Yeah, John, Bob here. I was just wondering, it was really heartwarming last night on the broadcast to see to see Adam Goods out there with, with Michael O'Loughlin. How significant was that to have Adam part of last night? Oh, he's been around a bit, Bob. I mean, he comes in uh, comes into the footy club and comes in a couple of times and I saw him two weeks ago in the club and doesn't come in a, a heap, but... Um, He's in really good spirits. I mean, he's, he was no problem coming here last night and, and, and presenting that. Um, the medal, the, the, you're so proud of that, the Goods O'Loughlin medal. And, um, you know, it's been fantastic. I mean, the, the, obviously, the, the, the round is a significant round, the Indigenous round, the Mangrook game for us is really important. So it was great to see him there last night. Um, but he has been around the club a bit. And what about the maturity of the group, John? The, the, the Blues got the jump on you last night. There was a real steady hand out there on the field. Is that a message you send down to the to the leaders, or are the are you got full confidence that the leaders can can steady the ship out there amongst the group? Yeah, look, you know, we were probably did a couple of things just before half time that we weren't weren't happy with in regards to that, and we we had a chat about it at half time, and um, you know, we thought we thought the leaders, particularly in the third quarter, the second half of the third quarter. Were, were pretty significant, and um, and that's important when you've got those younger players around as well. And and um, you know, it's not just about the possessions they get; it's about you know how they handle the team and how they get our structures right and how they want to set the tone of the contest. And um, we, we thought probably with ten minutes to go in the third, they were pretty significant in that aspect. John, seven years you've been coaching; you've made the final seven years in a row in a competition that is so even. How do you continually reinvent and rejuvenate the playing group like you've done? Oh, it's just just a reliance on good people, um, a, a very good recruiter in Kenya Beatson, and, uh, and uh, you know a pretty consistent playing group. That's what you rely upon, no matter whether you coach the Swans or any club. And um, you know we we live on the edge up here in Sydney. We understand it's the most competitive marketplace in the country for sport, and um, and uh, you know we need to be trying to get better every year, and that's what we try and do. And you rely enormously on your leaders to be able to set that standard through the footy club, and we've been fortunate to have some really good leaders for. A long period of time up here. What are your thoughts about the slide, the big freeze? <laughs> oh, geez, Jared, I'm a bit worried about it. <laughs> a bit worried about it. Just, uh, yeah, what a what a great what a great concept. I mean, I don't know whether Jared, you probably know more than me whether that's this sort of thing's ever happened anywhere in the world in world sport. Um, having 18 coaches involved in something like this is significant, not only for the, the absolute cause, the MND, uh, which is which is big, but for also the the person that Neil Denner here is and the role he had in the Coaches Association and 
he's just a great bloke and what a, what a great concept. It is the most brilliant show of unity. I can't believe that this has happened anywhere else. Is So what does it tell us about our coaches? So you go out there, try to rip each other to shreds, but it's, there, there must be a sense of collegiality between you. Yeah, there is. There's no doubt. I mean, we get together as a coaches association meeting every every year, and you know, we do talk about the good of the game. And we are we are competitors. We want to win. Um, but it's a bit like when Alistair and I went head to head a couple of weeks ago, and then we had a chat on on the Wednesday, and we we're all good. So um, that's that's the way it's got to be. We we understand that there's bigger things than than winning, even though winning's absolutely significant and and our and our priority during the course of the year. When you're talking about a cause like this, and for the boys to actually that are coaching on the day to be involved as well is is significant. I just think it's a it's a wonderful gesture. Do you know what you're going to wear? Oh, uh, we're waiting on some suggestions from a few of the supporters. I'm getting a bit jumpy about that, Jared. <laughs> I'm wondering if, if I can get a big enough, thick enough wetsuit, um, and that's going to be the starting point. Yes, wetsuits are banned. I can tell you from experience. I floated that <laughs> really? as an idea, and bang! Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, well that's off then. You've got to pay the full price. Good on you, John. And we look forward to seeing you on the Queen's birthday. On 1116 SEN, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 13. Touch base with Carlton during the program today. The crunch is full of good topics. It has been an eventful week, but it's also been a week to, well, to revel in the history of the game. And Terry Wallace was right at the forefront of that, inducted as one of the six new members of the Hall of Fame on Tuesday night. Terry, we've all had the chance to say congratulations, but again, congratulations. Thanks very much, Jared. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, look, it's a brilliant night. Eh? That's the first thing I wanted to get across to people. When I was coaching, this was the most pure football night that all the coaches want to go to because you know, if you've been involved in the game as long as you've played and then you've coached, you, know, you clearly love the game of footy and this is the purest night of the lot. So to be there as I was on Tuesday was just memorable. So what does it actually mean to you? You've had a chance to tell great stories and we've, we've remembered your career in the exact way that we should for what that's worth. But what does it mean to you to have that place? I think... A couple of things. Uh, my journey, and we've spoken about it, my journey was one of where I felt all the way through from 13 years of age that I've had to prove myself, prove myself over and over and over again. But as a lot of people do in their general life, I mean, it, life doesn't always go exactly the way that you want and you, you keep getting things put in front of you, and hurdles put in front of you, and you need to jump them. And uh, I felt that that was my lot in life and to be able to navigate your way through all of that and then come out and the end result be what it was on, on Tuesday night, uh, that gave me a great sense of pride uh, and a great sense of family pride. But probably the more for me than anything else was the legacy it leaves. So uh, my father's passed on now. He was a massive part of my uh, growing up and my sporting life. Mum's um, uh, in a home at the moment and uh, you know, really can't grasp the concept of, of what it was all about, where she's at at the moment. So it's for my kids, but I think it's more important for their kids, you know, that when they get to the stage when they start to grow up, and we haven't, I haven't got any grandkids yet, but yep. uh, when that, that does occur, I think that legacy that it, that it leaves for you and for your family moving forward when 
perhaps I'm not around anymore. Uh, I think that, that that's the thing that I sort of took out of it. That reflect, reflection probably didn't come till the next day. Yep. Because you're so overwhelmed on the night. You know, I mean, you do these things, MC, and these, uh, at like, a, you know, duck the water. But uh, for some of us who don't get that form of opportunity that, that often, um, yeah, you're so overwhelmed on the evening. It's until you sort of sit back, I went and had lunch with my family the next day, and that's more when you reflect. So you have a, a Hall of Fame CV. There's no question about that. And in its totality, you should have been in some time ago. There's probably two parts to the question. One is, do you have a difficult relationship with Hawthorne? Uh, no. The, the, the game we just spoke about before, Ben Ronk, uh, was at the President's Dinner at Hawthorne on that particular night. So, uh, no, no no problem. Have I had a difficult relationship in the past? Yes. Yeah, there's no doubt that that was the case. I left under unforeseen circumstances. Uh, we had a major person. Can you imagine how important Alistair Clarkson is to the Hawthorne Football Club right as we speak at the moment? Alan Jeans was exactly that uh, in a previous uh, you know, lifetime. And so when my relationship was so strained and broken with Alan, you know, who my last conversation prior to us getting back together uh, once I was coaching the Western Bulldogs uh, but my last conversation as a Hawthorne player with him was you will never be welcomed back at the Hawthorne Football Club again uh, you know, as a three time premiership player and life member of the club that's, you know, that's broken and so um, I took that on board that I wasn't welcome back to the, uh, to the football club and yeah, the doors weren't very strongly being opened by anyone else along that uh, along that journey. That's past. And, uh, yeah. When did that get rectified? Oh, look, I, I probably on Alan's passing. I mean, I was at Alan's funeral, yep. um, but yeah, probably on Alan's passing. Just and not directly, but over a period of time after that, I, I think there was a few that sort of said, "You know, we need." And through all that time. I always went back to the reunions. Uh, so if it was a 10-year premiership reunion, I was always there because I didn't. I did not have one issue with one player at the footy club. Whether anyone had any issues with me is a different story. But uh, certainly, from my point of view, I'd never had an issue with any of my teammates ever. It was just really. I mean, Alan, who was the senior coach at the time, and yeah. On reflection, I've said this before as well. I, on reflection. Could have I done something about it? You know, as a brash 26, 27-year-old, probably. If I had gone to see the late Ron Cook, who was the president of the football club at that time, and sat down with him, we had a great relationship, and sat down with him and sort of said uh, how broken this was. He may have been able to mend the bridges, obviously being the boss of both of us, uh, may have been able, able to do that, but I couldn't nav navigate my way through that at that time stage really and uh, so it just become head to head between me and the coach and I was never going to win that uh, I was never going to win that argument and over the past handful of years is the two names that were raised in the aftermath of each ceremony were Terry Wallace and Wayne Johnston is where were they so mm. Wayne has waited I think through off-field issues until he found a, a place in his life where he was probably more settled and there was a greater level of confidence that he was ready for that honour, as yours has been more that you were neither championed by Hawthorne nor the Western Bulldogs because you had the split careers. Yeah. Were you ever, um, were you ever, I don't know, um, embarrassed? Did you feel awkward that a career that is worthy of the Hall of Fame is you are the one who has been raised in the aftermath going, where is he? Yes, uh, probably on this very show yeah. a few times as well over the journey. I mean, I've sat in this seat uh, a few times before and, and had uh, the people who uh, have been doing this show, like Robbo, uh, very strongly 
sort of pushed for me in the in the past. And well, it, it, that, I don't know if it's embarrassing, but I wasn't embarrassed for the fact that I wasn't in it. I was more embarrassed that it kept getting brought up, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I had no control over yeah. it. I kept getting asked, why aren't you in it? I said, well, I don't pick it. I don't have anything to do with this whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, uh, to put that to bed was a nice thing. The stories come out on nights and weeks like this, Terry. Something I heard was that you were the first player to go full-time. Can you confirm Well, I, I don't know whether I was the first player to go full-time, but certainly we weren't full-time at that stage. And uh, so what happened was I got to the stage where... Uh, I was doing sales and that was my sort of background coming through that uh, I'd been a sales rep you know, at a couple of different companies and I sat there and I went, I think that I can do my football better mm. if I am actually full time at it. Now that cost me a dual wage because clearly we didn't get paid like the players were getting paid previously. What but, year are we talking? Uh, about 1981. Uh, so... It got to the stage where I made a decision uh, in 80, around 81, 82. This might sound arrogant, but we, there was a lot of, uh, and I don't mean it to be, but there was a lot of awards back then because you weren't paid that highly. So you had the two Sunday papers that both had awards. You had the age, and they're all sort of monetary awards you had. Uh, uh, the Sunday you know, footy shows, yeah. World of Sport had their awards. I actually sat back and sort of said, if I can do this properly and really work it hard, I think I could nearly earn as much out of some of the awards that are available as what I would earn by doing a nine to five job. So that, and I'll do it for a couple of years and see whether it, it sort of balances off that I can get my wage in another okay. capacity. And so pretty much I spent my time all the early part of the week full, uh, full time and recreation gym down, down in Malvern, and I had my, uh, what was my mentor at the time, manager you might call him, but there was no managers back in those days. He ran uh, the recreation gym. So I'd go down there and do all my training. Uh, well, early in the week it would be rehab, you know, uh, yeah, swimming, yeah, keeping off the legs, deep water running, all that sort of thing. In the early part of the week, the latter part of the week starting to really work hard uh, yeah, on the treddy, uh, doing extra weight sessions, uh, really putting the, the time and the work into a fitness component that I thought no one else could match because they were all at work. They were mm. all working nine to five. So uh, I, I did that for about five, I'd say five or six years. And I thought that I had a, a distinct advantage on the rest of the group. And it, sometimes it had me a little bit ostracized from a bit of the playing group because where we used to... Like, you, you play on a Saturday. This is how far, how ridiculous it is towards now. You play on a Saturday. You go out Saturday night, have a few drinks. We come down on a Sunday morning and run 10K around the Q Boulevard on the roads after you've played a, a game. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go on my legs. Yeah. And so that wasn't sort of accepted too well. And then we'd uh, go through the mud on a Tuesday night for two and a half hours on a Tuesday night. I'm in rehab mode at this stage. I only want to train sort of a little bit sharp on a Wednesday and then very sharp on the Thursday and then get back into the following week, but do all the work at the gym and make sure that my fitness levels were absolutely elite. But it wasn't sort of accepted. Oh, it imagine. wasn't accepted too well. And it, it, it seemed like I was cutting corners from a training point of view and seems like I was cutting corners from a work point of view. But I, I think it helped me become the player that I was. Bob, you're big on the symbolism of footy and the Hall of Fame night 
would hit right into that, I would imagine. Yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm so jealous of it, Jared. that it is... I've never been, obviously, and it does... So you, you speak to anyone who has been to these nights and they, they speak of the, the entire night with such reverence. And I was wondering, Plough, if, if you could take us into the room the other night, whether it was there... I'm sure you had hundreds of conversations of the night and there would have been lots of well wishes and goodwill in the room, but was there, is there one conversation that kind of caught you off guard that you weren't expecting that, that means a lot to you now that you, and that you reflect on it from, from your peers? Uh, two. Um, one was more fun and, and one was just a really nice touching moment. Uh, I got an opportunity to have a, a good chat with Kevin Murray who I just respect so much with his Fitzroy shoes on. He had his um, awesome. maroon and blue Fitzroy shoes on, which was fantastic. But uh, Kevin, Kevin just wears his heart on his sleeve. He's an absolutely fantastic football person. Um, when I come through the system, I thought I was going to be, if I ever was going to make it, I was going to be a Fitzroy player. So Kevin Murray would have been one of the people that I would, you know, was looking up to and, and sort of idolising, thinking, you know, that was the journey that I was going to go on. So that was sort of the really nice moment. The one that it was a surprising moment was that uh, at one stage I got this big bear hug from behind. Like just absolutely, I couldn't move. Like my arms were tucked into my side and I literally could not move at all. And I, my initial reaction was, this will be Jason Dunstall because we're in each other's uh, wedding parties. Uh, he's a big man. Just lock me away and I can't move. And I was struggling along and struggling along and people started saying, who is it? Who is it? And, and I couldn't see because I was locked. And then all of a sudden I got a little bit free and it was big John Nichols. Hey. And uh, I, I know John a little bit, yeah. but I don't know I don't know him well. I didn't think I knew him for a, bear hug. For a big bear <laughs> hug, but it was a, just a fantastic moment. Really, really uh, uh, it, it was almost John coming up and sort of saying, welcome to the group. Mm. The universal approval around Kevin Sheedy as well. So we'll revisit this in the crunch. Is That's what the moment of the legend is like. And Robbo's written the piece today in the Herald Sun as this is why Gary Ablett Sr. can't be a legend. I think it's a really well-argued case that it just wouldn't have the same reaction. So, And there's all sorts of different layers to it. And one of the central ones, I think, is that he's never been. He wasn't there on the night that he was inducted. He's never been subsequently... It clearly doesn't mean anything to him. Uh, the game can't allow him the, the further honour of, of elevating him to a legend when, yeah, as I see Jason Dunstall there every year. I see Wayne Carey there every year. It just doesn't mean anything to Ablett. So just I actually on think that when note, we, Joe, I yep. think there's something to be said, though, isn't there, for we, we don't necessarily want the same mood in the room. for We don't want a bad reaction or a bad mood in the room, but the, you're not going to get... I think part of it would be that the the different emotions of you know may, maybe making him a legend it could could change a lot of things. That's that's all. I'm playing devil's advocate there. We'll come back to that. Kane, do you ever let the mind wander? Three hundred games, games record holder at the club, four best and fairest, two All Australians in a premiership. Uh, well, I was there when Dad got inducted, and it's almost my favourite night in footy ever. So to to have that with your boys, with my boys, would would be amazing. But there's a big backlog. Jared, I think. <laughs> Kane Corns with Terry Wallace, Bob Murphy on crunch time in a touch base with the Blues shortly. Kate Simpson is going to join us. The 40 Winks ladder update, 40 Winks serious about sleep. The Swans have moved to third. The Blues remain last.
the award-winning crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 30. It is the Sir Doug Nichols round. The showpieces tonight at the MCG, Richmond and Essendon drawn in Dreamtime at the G. A crowd in excess of 85,000 and maybe more will be in attendance. Kevin Sheedy will do a lap of honour. There's a great sense of pageantry in the build-up to it and there is plenty at stake when the game gets underway. Everything else is really in the build-up to that. Last night, Sydney got the job done against Carlton to go 8-3 and three for the moment. They've returned to third place on the ladder. The Blues with a one win on the way out through 11 games. Jared Waitley, Terry Wallace, Kane Corns and Bob Murphy with you on Crunch Time. The key takeouts from the th- from last night's game is John Longmire was our guest at the start of crunch time the little chirp from Dane Rampey about coffee with Clarko for the umpire when he was penalised for the block that seemed to be pretty well the highlight of the night well what I just mentioned by him in the in the press <laughs> would that be fair so I mean that's just um, you know, that's what you know, he was named in the po- in by by Alistair, so you can understand his reaction to that so has it been a a present conversation around your club between your players? Uh, not that I know of. No, no, not not unless it was the way it was addressed during the week um, when I spoke publicly about it on the Monday. But um, really, since then, it hasn't been a big issue. In terms of the cheeky little sledge towards the umpire, that's as good as it gets, isn't it, John? <laughs> not a bad one-liner, was it, Jim? <laughs> it was good. <laughs> do, do you feel like you've been able to reach peace on that front? Or is that going to bubble away now that it's been brought to attention? No, I mean, I, I'm on the public record of saying, and so is Alistair, we spoke on the Wednesday afterwards. So, um, no, we're fine. We're, we're fine with that. John Longmire, who will be going down the slide with Alistair Clarkson on the Queen's birthday with all the coaches uh, conscripted to that. So on the Swans is Terry Wallace. Is they lost Tippett to retirement and Naismith to injury. It looked like coming into the season, the ruck was going to be the biggest challenge. Is Callum Sinclair one of the biggest surprises of the season. Absolutely is. And I'll go back to being up there when Port Adelaide beat them earlier in the year and Charlie Dixon went into the centre of the ground in the second half of that game and just took hold of the game and turned it the other way. I sat there and went, I don't think Callum Sinclair is going to be able to do the job that Sydney need him to do. And I think since that day, he has become, in football terms, a real man, a real general in the middle of the ground. And he does do it a little differently to some of our rucks, but uh, certainly you know, his ability to get around the ground, be able to mark, push forward, has had challenges for our position ruckmen. So I think he's doing a great job for them. For all of you, it's Carlton in the back half of the season. So they're 1-10 and 10 to halfway they went. One out of ten on their way home last year. Bob, you start. What represents par for the Blues in the back half of the year? As a as a raw figure, Jared, just looking at the draw, I, I think there's an opportunity for them to win three games. I think they could win three, but I, just as intriguing, I think is is how they how they get beaten in, in those other ones. I think last night was an acceptable performance. I think they were, I'm a bit more optimistic about their kids than what Kane is, although Kane is quite grumpy about most things. <laughs> it has to be said. Well, you, I, you I, make I, a case. You make a case for which ones you think. Uh, I've got a few question marks on Weedering and Silvani and McKay. Uh, well, I, yeah, I, I'll take you on. I'll take you up with Weedering. I think Weedering's had a has had a bumpy year, but I think he's I think he's going to be a star for yep. them. I think Paddy Dow's a good one. I think McKay is going to be a real player. So that that's one that you could, that I'm sure you go fifty fifty. I think Petrescu 
uh, what's it, Petreski Petreski Seaton. Yep, Petreski Seaton. Yeah, uh, I, I love. I, I I've seen in his top end. St- he's a bit of a mixed bag, but I just think his top end stuff. Yeah, is, no, I agree with that. Class. He's young. Yeah, so I, I, I'm a bit more I'm a bit more bullish about the Blues, but I'm I'm intrigued, Jared, about just um and and a little bit worried of how the one the games they lose, how they lose. Well, I think they can win four, and I think they need to win four to make it five for the year. Fremantle at home in Melbourne, they got Brisbane at the Gabba, that's winnable. St Kilda on another Friday night round seventeen is winnable, and Gold Coast at Etihad. They need to win four out of 11 for me. I gave them five opportunities to uh, to win. Round 13 against Fremantle. That's the must win for me. Now, Fremantle, not tracking that well. You're coming off a bye. You're freshened up to really have a crack at them. That's the one. Uh, I think if they get one of Brisbane at the Gabba or St Kilda at Etihad, and then I see... Uh, opportunities later in rounds 19 Gold Coast at Metricon and Western Bulldogs at Etihad but if you're Carlton you've got two weeks at the MCG in rounds 14 and 15 coming off if you won the Fremantle game where you've got Collingwood and Port Adelaide at the MCG you'd be considering yourself a chance in those games surely so I've given five uh, big opportunities no less than three. I, I don't think that they can accept any less than three victories. Joe, we'll ask for your thoughts in a minute, but I hate bringing up this topic of not tanking, but, but uh, almost wanting to lose to get the number one draft pick because there is a clear standout number pick right now. His name is Jack Lacocious in South Australia. They will want to get their hands on him, but you don't think they don't have think the luxury, luxury to afford that. No, no. I think they, they need to be on the upswing in the back half of this season, having had... You know, two halves of seasons that haven't netted anything, anything. So I think they need to be on the upswing, play absolutely on their merits, grow What's their team. What's a pass mark for you? Uh, I mean, the, they have to win three. Yeah, I, I expect them to win three as well. But I, I'm, I'm a little leaning towards four as well. As when it clicks, will it click properly? Will, will they, will they vault when they make their? their cohesive breakthrough. I think you need to see that in the second half of the season. They should be capable of it. And then from an AFL perspective is when the Friday night schedule comes out next year, what do we expect from it? Kane? Well, well it's, it's not an exact science, so let's say that. I mean, who would have thought North Melbourne would have had the season they've had? West, West Coast, Coast, the yeah. same. So let, you're not going to get them all right. That, yeah. But then you're not going to get them all right. But let's start with good rivalries. So let's start with a showdown. Why don't we? Why don't we start with a derby? They're usually good games. You know, why can't we have a couple of big Melbourne clubs playing against each other? Um, so so let's start with good seven to eight genuine rivalries in this game on a Friday night, and reward the teams that finish in the top eight this year. Terry, what do you expect from Friday nights next year? Uh, I expect to see most games, not all games, but most games that signify what I would consider potentially the top sides from the previous year playing in those fixtures. So uh, where we sort of sit at the moment, you know, if we were sitting at a round seven game, you know, I'd, I would be comfortable with a Friday night being Sydney versus Melbourne. Melbourne being on the improve, Sydney, that type of game. And normally that stacks up because as much as what uh, we say we haven't got everyone right, I think most of us would have six of the top eight right at the start of the year. So by the time you're putting your fixture together, you're going to get most of it right. Not all of it right, and there's nothing wrong with some teams getting 
a bite at the the uh, the pie, a, you know, a marginal bite at the pie, but we can't have it as it's been this year. Bob? I think the newest member of the Hall of Fame is seeing them pretty well this morning, Jared. <laughs> I don't think I'd add too much more to that. I think that makes, yeah, I think what Plough Plow said has made a lot of sense. Something a bit more bankable. All right, let's touch base with the Blues, and Cade Simpson is with us. Cade, welcome to Crunch Time. Thanks for having me, guys. The last two weeks, Cade, what, what have you got from them, from the low point of the Melbourne game? Um, oh, I think, it, obviously, yeah, very disappointed in the Melbourne game, but it sort of probably just kicked us back in the line and um, showed if you don't bring um, effort, you're just going to be no chance. So I think the last two weeks we've sort of had that and we've sort of been in the game, but just a few sort of skill errors and, and goal kicking, stuff like that's probably hurt us. Was it a challenging week in the aftermath of Melbourne to get that to get that response? Um, oh, I think it was sort of driven. Bolt sort of handed it over to the leaders a lot. So we took a lot of the, the review and and the preview into the into the Cats game. So it um, wasn't sort of too much different than most weeks, just probably the leaders had a bit more to say. Kate, I've um, mentioned your young players this year and, and just a few question marks that I've got are not as optimistic, but take us inside that. Uh, and how long do you expect in terms of years before they all can gel together and be stars of this competition like I know you're hoping they will become? Um, yeah, well, it's obviously a bit of an unknown. I think sort of the guideline for of, a, of of other players is for sort of that fifty to maybe eighty games. But um, I think you've seen what Zach Fisher's done this year with a, a couple of his games where he's had high twenty touches and he's always classy with the ball. Um, Paddy Dow, I think he's played ten games, so um, you just sort of don't know how quickly they'll go on. Like Charlie Kernow is one who's really jumped quickly. Um, the others sort of take a bit of time. So um, it's a bit of an unknown, but yeah, obviously I'm hoping they can do it as quick as possible. Well, you would be. You're 34 years of age. You're about to play game number 300. What are your emotions right now? Um, the fact that you will probably realistically not be there when they are at that 50 to 100 game mark. Um, oh, it sort of hasn't really come into my mind, really. Um, sort of focus on what I can do now and what I can control. So... Um, yeah, it's not something I look too far ahead in. Um, even like the last probably three years, I've always sort of never really looked to the, the next year until the season was over. Um, so that's sort of just what I can control and that's uh, week in, week out now. And someone that is in a similar boat, do you understand the conversation around Mark Murphy at the moment? Oh, I think it's a lot of hype. There's always going to be hype on a, a really good player who's out of contract and um, with free agencies coming over the past whatever four or five years um but yeah Merce obviously um is captain of the football club and I think they're in conversations now so um he's got a decision to make but I think um yeah they're in conversations and hopefully it'll get done before the year's out. Okay Terry Wallace here I've been at your last two games live I was up there last night I thought the organization of the team has been very good uh you know the defensive structures last night uh, Jones sort of being able to come off his man, always playing high and being the intercept player. Uh, Rowe always behind Buddy. Uh, it worked very, very well for you for a long period of time. Yeah, it did. Um, yeah, Jones, he was great. I, I don't know how many intercept marks he had, but he positioned himself really well. Um, Rowe uh, took it right up to Buddy, um, who's a slip player, and you, you give him one little sniffy, otherwise he'll, he'll kick a bag. So, um, yeah, Rowe was super. Jones, he was good. I think... Um, yeah, as you said, the last two weeks we've got that right. Um, 
What happened, Kate? Let, take us back a couple of weeks ago then. I was very critical myself of the Melbourne game where Melbourne kept taking Jonesy back almost deep to the goal square. Uh, you were getting stuck with uh, Sam up playing high on uh, on Hogan and it, it almost looked like Melbourne's match committee were dictating the terms of where your blokes were actually uh, structuring themselves up. What happened, you know, I suppose you review every game, what happened after that that has seen, uh, I think, a significant change? Yeah, I, we um, obviously watched quite a bit of vision, the defenders of behind the goals, um, which is <laughs> it's a player's worst nightmare mm. if you're getting, getting cleaned up because it shows... Um, all the running patterns and stuff. If you haven't worked hard enough to cover an outlet, and um, that was probably the main one that we didn't really cover the outlet. So then we were caught in between. Um, and I actually watched Melbourne against Adelaide last week, and it seemed to happen to Adelaide as well. Yeah. Melbourne's ball movement so quick, and they were just uh, finding the free player. And you end up if you're proactive, and then they get through with no pressure, you end up in a really bad position. Look. Yeah, the other one is we understand that players play banged up and sometimes they go out there seriously banged up and particularly if they're leaders of your footy club. I was down at Geelong last week and gee, I thought it was going to be really difficult for Paddy Cripps to come up. He just looked a really sore boy and I know he's doing everything right you know, to try to get himself out there. How sore was he in the lead up to the game and, and, and during the week? Um. Oh, it's always tough. Six-day breaks with a bit of travel as well involved. Um, but he's an absolute warrior. Like He's carrying a massive workload for us inside. Um, cops a heavy tag most weeks. And he's, I don't know what he's averaging, contested possessions. But that's his, that's his go. So he, he gets battered from door to post most weeks. But, um, yeah, he's a warrior. And I think he still had quite a bit of an impact last night. Um, a few marks around the ground and stuff. Cade, uh, Bob Murphy here. I was just curious. You, you seem to me has been that you've been the George Harrison of the AFL for <laughs> such a long time of keeping keeping the, such a low profile. How disappointed were you that I wrote a column paying homage to your <laughs> dignified career during the week? Yeah, I won't be buying a coffee, Bob, if I see you at the cafe, mate, in, in Northcote. So um, no, it was all right. I know my mum loved it. She texted me saying, "Have you seen this?" What Bob wrote. So. Um, I uh, appreciate it, mate. A nice, and a nice big picture to go with it, mate. Now, Kate, <laughs> uh, you, you talked about, you know, uh, three years ago and, and, and one year at a time. Um, but you still seem in fine fettle. You're moving across the ground as well as ever. How long do you think you can keep playing for? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I've, my body's actually feeling better this year than it probably has the last couple of years. So um, it's always going to be a year-by-year thing. But um, I want to play as long as I can, really. It's, um, once you retire, you're retired forever. So... Um, I'll try and hold on as long as possible. And what about the morale in in the locker room with with such a young group? And and even I mean, there's not there's not too many of you in the veteran category. How how has it been in the locker room to to keep keep such a young group focused and motivated and and strong in in what's a really difficult period for the footy club? Um, I think that's where Oz's been brilliant. He's um he sort of keeps everything in in perspective. Um, so we come in we. He shows the positives, the negative stuff we have to improve, and then we go out and train it like like most sides would. But we're in work, we're working incredibly hard on the track, and um, I think the last two weeks has been a, a real step in the right direction. But just silly sort of skill errors and a bit of goal kicking and stuff that's probably cost us the last two weeks. Kate, how difficult has leadership been when you consider that Bryce Gibbs uh, steps away? You have Sam Doherty go down. And then you haven't got Mark Murphy either on the ground or on, on the track 
at times. Has that put a strain on the leadership in general? Um, not around the club. Like Doc, and even game day, we've got Doc on the bench. Um, so he's pretty much gone into a little sort of coaching role, which, is, which has been brilliant for us. Um, Paddy Cripp, so he's been, he's been amazing while Murph's been out taking on the captaincy. Um, led by example, um, real, really vocal as well around the stoppages and with his brutal attitude at the ball and man. So um, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a tough workload, but the eagerness of our young guys, the willingness to learn, it sort of makes it quite easy. So what expectations would you carry into the second half of the season, Kate, after you've had the break? Um, oh, I'm probably going to use a few cliches here, but it's obviously a week-by-week thing for us. We've focus on effort and what we've done the last couple of weeks, It's that's the one thing you can control is, is your effort and your um, how, how you can help your teammates out. That sort of takes no talent and that's sort of what we go in week by week trying to focus on and hopefully the rest will take care of itself. But yeah, goals, I don't know, we'll reassess over the next few days while we've got our break and, and set some things in place. But um, yeah, it'll be a good, good conversation to have. Do you feel like you'll need to get some wins in the back half of the season, given how scarce they've been? In recent times, oh, I'd like to. I'd like to hope we're going to get some wins. Yeah, um, I think we've sh- we've shown the last two weeks that we can match it with with anyone. We've just got to do it for longer. So we've done it for sort of a half a game, three quarters against Geelong and Sydney, who are quality teams and and really mature teams as well. So um, yeah, if we can do it for a bit longer, we might be able to pinch a few wins along the way. Good on you, Cade. Thanks for your time. No worries. Thanks, guys. Cade Simpson with us from the Blues. Crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. Yes, Bob, it was good to see you give one of the, the unheralded veterans a bit of a bit of time in the spotlight. He does it well. He certainly deserves it, Jared. I don't, he's, he's played his whole career through a, a really tough period for the, for the Blues, and he's, he's done it with, uh, with dignity the whole way. Let's get into the crunch. Uh, We're going to have the Coaches Association boss, Mark Brayshaw, with us uh, during this period of time as well because uh, he somehow managed to get the 18 coaches together for Big Freeze 4. That is just outstanding. So we'll uh, we'll discuss how that's come to be for the Queen's birthday in honour of Neil Danaher shortly. But let's start with Melbourne, who come into a game this afternoon where they're expected to carry their form. One of the big questions sitting over them are, are they mature enough to handle the hype? And Simon Goodwin gave us uh, an insight into how they're going about it with a bit of inspiration from Wolf of Wall Street. People are only commenting on what they see, um, but internally it's Fagazi, which means it's noise. Well, it's from the Wolf of Wall Street, so it's, uh, it's fake. You know what Fagazi is? Fugazi, it's a uh, fake. Yeah, Fugazi, Fagazi, it's a wazi, it's a woozy. It's a... So it goes something like Fagazi, it's a woozy, it's a wazi. <laughs> That's awesome. You would love that, Joe. I love that. Because you love your movies. <laughs> I think the coaches are on fire this week. <laughs> yeah. So what's what do you hear when you hear that, Bob? Uh, what do I, I think? I think they're in a pretty good place, Melbourne. I, and I think the fact that even Simon Goodwin's got just the, you know, he's got the confidence at the moment to, to, to relax in front of the media like that, um, I think that speaks volumes. I, I think I was one that... A, a, a game like this for Melbourne, I would usually be like, oh, oh here we go. You know, they're, they're going as favourites. This is one they should win half and, you know, really kind of almost expecting them to get rolled. But I've, you know, I, I don't feel like that with, with, with the Demons at the moment. I think they've got a real sense of belief and 
and to the point where I tipped, I tipped uh, famously or infamously, uh, I've tipped the demons mm, against the Bulldogs this week, which has gone. <laughs> that's gone viral. <laughs> that's, that's what, well, you know, Kane, I'm nothing if not a polarising character. In the exactly. Now, Bob, uh, do you think that their muck-up of the back part of last year actually could end up being you know, a bit of resolve for them going into this year? Because clearly they messed it up. I mean, they, they leaked five goals in that game against Brisbane, which ended up costing them any chance of the percentage when it come down to the, the last game. They, they failed dismally against Collingwood in that last game of the year. Can sometimes those learnings of just not getting it right make you better the next time around? No doubt, no doubt, plan. I, I I think that's why so many people were really bullish about the about the demons, you know, before the season started. I think Kane even had them to win the flag, but that but that was an extreme view. But there were everyone was really thinking that, that Melbourne, with the list they've got, with the their trajectory of that team, but also they had what you're talking about there, player. They had that. It wasn't just the hurt of missing the finals. That was a that was a deep sense of almost shame of of how they missed out because they clearly should have they clearly should have been in the eight last year and they, and they blew a, a chance. So they that that can be a trampoline for sides and with the momentum they've got at the moment, you can hear it in Nathan Jones's voice during the week how he's never enjoyed football as much as as he is right now and that that enjoyment is about the satisfaction and what might be ahead. What I like, Terry, is that Simon Goodwin has. Uh, has approached this as a tangible. So instead of just going, will we deal with this? Will we not deal with this? Will we talk about it? As they've, they've essentially put a joke on top of it. Absolutely. I, I, as a coaching mechanism, I love that. Well, it, it relaxes people around. It relaxes the media group that you're speaking to. It relaxes your, your players because they can have a little bit of a chuckle about it in the rooms. So you're actually talking about you know, the, uh, the situation that can become confronting, and you're actually doing it in a relaxed style. I think it's perfect. It gives him an out at every press conference now. When he gets asked about it, he can just go for Gazi. I think it's a masterstroke. It's one of the cleverest things. Is that the new term for it is what it is? I was sick of coaches saying that. We, and we don't have to worry about Lids yeah. or he just gets Let's to go celebrate that. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Hey, on the Bulldogs front, Bob, is Dale Morris. This is an incredible story. He's, he sat with us on a Friday night, oh, I don't know, about five weeks ago and detailed what he was attempting. And you go, oh, well, if you, if you can, if you can partially rupture your ACL and sit out and get yourself back from February, it would be incredible. And here he is. I mean, for all that he's done and he's such an admired figure, this has got to be right up there. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's a, <laughs> the thing about Dale Morris, there's, there's a deep sense of amazement about what he's been able to do. But also in the footy club, there's almost a bit of like, oh, yeah, that's, just, that's kind of what he does. And, and sticking with the movie theme that Simon Goodwin started, we we often wondered if we if we cut open Dale Morris's forearm, would it reveal like the Terminator Two <laughs> inner, inner workings? Because he's just he's 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 as tough, you know, to an old saying, he's just as tough as old boots. But he really is the he, he's once he sets his mind to something, he's got an incredible incredible will to get there. Bob, people uh, within your footy club would know exactly where it sits performance wise as well. But this guy was runner up in your best and fairest, in the premiership year. Yeah, I mean, he, he's he's probably one of the... Top, he'd be in the top five best Bulldogs players I've ever played with. Player. That's a big that's, rap. That's, that's, a that's huge the rap. kind of... That's the standing that we, we hold him in. Um, he's an incredible player, but... And part of... I mean, the, there's not a lot has gone right at the Bulldogs this year, but the, not having him at centre-half back or, or deep in defence... 
has a massive effect on the way that Easton Wood can execute his play. It, the, the ripple effect of Dale Morris, he's such a valuable part of that part of that footy side. Luke Beveridge has been pretty strategic in the way that he's talking about and treating his free agents. Ruff's a free agent you know, at the end of this year, so we're working with his manager at the moment to try and re-sign him. He's definitely a required player, and he's been a, such an important part of our recent successes, but he'll need to perform at his best pretty quickly uh, to establish what his future beyond this year is, and I, and I really believe he can. He's another free agent, Mitch, and when you're not feeling the, maybe the love with the, the AFL selection, then uh, the players obviously start to think about what that means beyond... Uh, their current tenure at their at their club. Rough Ed and Wallace, you treat them a little bit mean sometimes, Plough. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, both both of them have been challenged this year. Both of them have played VFL football this year. But when you start playing like that, Kane, and uh, I mean, probably never happened to you in your career, but you've seen other guys that have gone through it. But when that challenge starts to happen... People will start to look elsewhere. Well, it happened to Jackson Trengove last year at Port Adelaide. Went back to the the SANFL and now he's at the Bulldogs and playing pretty well. So, yeah, I'd be surprised if both of them are there next year along with probably Luke Dowhouse and they might have a bit of a list turnover. So we'll wait and see. Do you think we'll see a refashioning of the list, Bob? Uh, I still can't quite get a read on it, Jared. But, uh, yeah... just reading between the lines there, sounds Ruffy. I think will be there. Mitch, I'm that's I'm I'm, I'm a bit worried there. Okay, uh, we're in the crunch. We have coming up Tom Lynch, maybe times two. Hayden Ballantyne is in here. The Giants and the Crows, which is a bit of a flashpoint this weekend. We might even stray to the NBA for a little bit. But the coach is going down the slide. It's next. It's crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See Honda.com.au. On 1116 SEM, the award-winning crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 30. Sydney embedded in the top four after a win on Friday night footy. The Blues are on the bottom of the ladder with a bit of forecasting. The back half of their season should improve significantly. Three or four wins representing par in the estimation of our crunch time panel. Kane Corns, Bob Murphy, Terry Wallace and Jared Waitley with you. The best part about what happened last night, the high point, was when it was announced that the 18 coaches are going to be the sliders for Big Freeze 4. Are you more of a uh, Speedos man or a uh, <laughs> I'm more of a wetsuit man. And uh, I think if I was walking down Bondi in a pair of Speedos, they'd shut the beach. You know, it's a great cause. Neil Dennehy is one of the all-time greats. <clears throat> so the least that we can do is jump in a bit of cold water next week as coaches and make gooses of ourselves for half an hour and raise some money. It's the least we can do for the Dennehy family and the cause. He calls it the beast. So it's, it's trying to find a cure. It's trying to help those that are volunteering to support as well and I think it's a great initiative and we're all in behind it and I know the coaches jumped at the opportunity once once Neil asked. Brendan Bolton and John Longmire last night after it was revealed that they'll be the sliders and Nathan Buckley tweeted that he's begun his training, his preparation for it already. Now the man who's pulled all of this together and it is a fantastic demonstration of what our sport is. The Coaches Association Chief Executive Mark Brayshaw. Mark welcome to Crunch Time. Hi, Jared. Hey, listen, I can't lay claim to pulling it all together. I just um, made a few phone calls. Uh, but I, I think uh, Brendan's summary was perfect. Uh, Neil and Horse, you know, the two the two of them 
made clear how highly regarded Neil is, so it wasn't a very hard sell, that's for sure. What does it tell us about our coaches? Well, in, it's a good, a good question because when there's a greater cause, they're very, very happy to put the shoulder to the wheel. And, and I've said that recently when there was talk about the game. Um, when we meet with Gil, uh, you know, when he talks about what the fans and the broadcasters and the games heading, you know, they always put their heads together and put aside their own club's interest. And in this instance, um, you know, Neil is a, a revered figure, but as, as Bolt said, to try and cure the thing. And Don Pike's father died of the same disease a few years ago, uh, the late Frank Pike, and I, I reckon there's one other coach with a family connection. So um, I think they want to put their shoulder to the wheel and help a bigger cause. What did you think when you first heard the idea? Okay, so there's a bit of a chronology. Knowing I was going to do this interview, it's an interesting story, I think, anyway. So Lewis Martin from Channel 7 rang to say, we would like to get of the, um, the 16 coaches that aren't, you know, obviously the, the Pies and the, and the Demons are playing, the, the Melbourne-based coaches, do you think they'd be be up for it and I said to them I said yeah of course but I said why aren't you asking the rest of them oh no we can't expect them to, to come and I said well I, I, you know, I think you're wrong there so oh, let me make a few phone calls and uh, they we were initially we were a bit concerned that, that one coach might be the last guy to be asked and, and then he would say look I really don't want to do it because four of the clubs are on a, on a buy and yep. um, you know it's just, logistics are a challenge but um, as the guys just said then, uh, Brendan in particular said, uh, once they were asked, they were straight into it. So the, the, we quickly got to the fact that there were going to be 16 involved. And then Lewis said, oh, well, you know, I said, why aren't you asking um, Nathan and, and Simon? Oh, no, no, Neil doesn't want to impose on them. I said, well, you know, Terry, you can about this. There's a lot of myths in footy and <laughs> yeah. there's a calm before the storm before a game. I'm sure they can find 10 minutes to get into it. And why aren't you asking them? Anyway, they did and immediately um, left at it. So we, we then um, we then had 18, and we have an AGM in uh, in March. And Neil Neil spoke to the coaches in and explained how it's going to go. And you, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. Um, and then they started talking about, uh, about about clothing and you know what costume they're going to wear and all the rest of it. Um, and and I got a phone call on Friday from the Demons Media Media on Thursday from the Demons Media guy, and he said. Um, Simon and Nathan, are they expected to wear a costume as well? And I said, oh, geez, that's a good question. I, I don't think so. I'm not, let's leave it with me. By the time I'd called him back, uh, I, I rang again, spoke to Lewis Martin. He said, no, no, under no circumstances. Neil doesn't want to put them under any pressure. They come out in their clothing, uh, club uniform, and go straight back in. By the time I called him, uh, this fellow back, Ryan Larkin, Nathan and Simon had spoken to one another. And, and apparently had said, there's no way I'm going down in my club uniform. Um, I want to get into it as well. So, so look, it's, um, yeah, it's been an extraordinary. Um, everybody wants to get in, and, and I know they're very, very pleased to be helping. Mark, brilliant concept. And to be honest, I mean, the concept would have uh, you know, lived and grown as it has with the you know, celebrities and football celebrities over the last uh, couple of years. But to get the, the coaches involved, and you're absolutely right, the players of the uh, the two coaches that are involved on the day, if they duck out the door for five or ten minutes, the players wouldn't even know they were missing. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just a, a complete nonsense. But great that they've actually uh, decided to get involved. Have you tried to do any homework? Is this unparalleled? I mean, I can't. Well, certainly from an AFL point of view, I've never seen any, anything that would compare anything to this. I don't think uh, Australia-wide there is anything. But there, has there been anything, even internationally, that no. compares to this? No, not that we know of. It's a good question because um, Lewis from Seven suggested this will get international coverage and interest. It's um, 
but because it's so unique. So yeah, no one can think of anything anything like it. And um, they're trying to get a photo. Uh, one other good story, which I'm sure that coaches won't mind me sharing, is um, um, they're trying to get a photo at about one thirty on the day with all eighteen of them in their costumes, and the costumes are tightly held secret. So they're trying to get their their uh, fans to come up with suggestions. But have you ever been to a wedding or a, uh, an event? And turn up in the wrong dress code, and you feel like a goose if it's a black tie show and you turn up in a, you know, a, a tracksuit or something. Absolutely. So what they are saying to me uh, privately is, let me know what everyone else is wearing because uh, I don't want to be an outlier. So towards the end of next week, when everybody's had a chance to gauge the fans' interest and get their recommendations, they are going to sort of um, share their their ideas to make sure that, um, you know, <laughs> I mean they're. They want to be uh, have fun, but they're also very acutely interested in what everybody else is wearing, so they don't turn up at a wedding, um, you know, in the wrong dress. And, and I actually have a bit of a chuckle at that because, uh, you know, they're, they're right up for the fight, but <laughs> to know what everyone else is doing, it's like, yeah, it's nice. Peer pressure is a magnificent thing, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so you can keep a secret in footy market, turns out. Yeah, they may not. Look, Lou, again, at the, on the, this is March, the AGM, so he expects them all to be quiet and not tell anybody. Um, and yeah, it's been. Look, I think one or two journalists knew about it, but um, to their credit, they kept it kept it a secret. And uh, and the next challenge is to keep the uniforms or the, the costumes a secret. But you know, it's. Uh, I tell you what, when when Neil was speaking to them, um, you got to remember, you know, Neil worked at West Coast with Adam when he started, and uh, gave Clark a job. And he obviously a big name out at Essendon as well. And you know, he's such a popular guy. You've all met him, no doubt. He's just a, uh, an eternal optimist and, and an uplifting person. Um, and he literally could have heard a, a pin drop. So when he asked for it to be kept secret, um, it has. And uh, now the genie's out of the bottle, and I, you know, I got to sell lots of beanies. So anyone that's listening, that's uh, twenty bucks a beanie, and uh, um, get online and buy one. Brilliant. Good on you, Mark. Well done. It's going to be some sort of day, the Queen's birthday for sure. You're most welcome. Go D. <laughs> Hang on. Are you still there, Mark? Let yeah. me ask you one more as a father. Yeah. Um, Gosh, Angus is this is it's happening for him. And there must have been moments where everybody wondered whether it was going to. How do you feel watching him at the moment? All right. Well, I'm a bit old school and um, nowhere near as good a player as any of the three that you're sitting with. But I did speak to him this week and say, mate, if I'm out at the kennel at the moment, I am just licking my lips at a chance to crack into you, demons, because there's you know there's a lot of talk about the club and him. And I said, mate, low and hard in the first quarter because otherwise, um, footy has a habit of. Um, Fighting on the backside, and we, I'm having uh, lunch with a handful of, of parents at um, at a pub here nearby. It's already had, and all of us have got the same fear. So look, oh, we're Deborah and I are loving watching him and his and his brother. Um, and yes, it has been a tough journey, but today it's all about um, getting the four points yes. uh, rather than getting too romantic. So yeah, it's a bit of a journey, and at the moment it seems to be going well, but they've got a big job ahead of them. Yeah, are you proud of him? You know what? Um, I don't want to sound pompous here, but Pride's a different word because my oldest son's about to get on a plane and go to Afghanistan, yeah. um, and we are, you know, Deborah and I are proud is the right word. You know, the other three are just lucky enough to be playing footy, um, and you know, they, you know, it's such a wonderful, privileged opportunity. And so I haven't quite come up with a word yet. Um, it's not, I'm not unproud or whatever the opposite is, but I, it's, you know, I feel proud about my oldest son. But I'm just thrilled that it's great fun to watch your kid play footy, um, and we're going up to Darwin next month. Fingers crossed that they're both fit and selected when Freo play Melbourne. Um, and that'll be a thrill too. But I haven't quite got the word yet. Good, Good on you, Mark.
Let's know what Pleasure. you do. Mark Brayshaw, the chief executive of the Coaches Association and a dad, a footy dad. You can keep a lid on it. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> How awesome is the, is the slide going to be? Are they going to top it next Brilliant. year? Oh, I was just thinking the same thing, Kane. This <laughs> oh, big, big freeze. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, and right. yeah, that, um, um, that uh, Nathan Buckley and Simon Goodwin are definitely I just part can't of well. imagine these costumes, Bob, that these guys are going to wear. It's just because we, we do see our coaches in that sort of light that, you know. Very straight back. Don't take them on. Don't no, take yeah. them on. But it's going to be fascinating. What would you go with, Plough, if you were, if you could cast your mind back? What would you, if you could have a guess at what they're going to go? Will, will they be a uniform theme? Do you think, or will it be will it be sort of an eclectic mix? I had them in their team colours. I had yeah, them. I thought an eclectic mix. So when we were talking to John before, I could sort of see him with the big nice swan, you know, like a big fluffy backside out the back. Oh. Oh, I think it'd be classic. Possibilities. Oh, I'm enormous. thinking they're going to dress up as someone. You know, I've got the vision of a Kappa or a, or a someone. So Stewie Jew coming down as a, a Warwick Kappa or something like that. I, I don't know why, but that's the vision I've got in my head. A blonde Stew, wig and Stewie tight Jew, shorts. Stewie Wind. Jew in those tight shorts yeah. would be very fascinating. We think need more information. We need a leak here, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Think of the hours of talkback that yeah. we've got in this show. <laughs> what should your coach yeah. dress up as to come down the slide? Uh, we are in the crunch. We'll go through the Key topics in footy right now with Kane Corns, Terry Wallace and Bob Murphy next. On 11.16 SEM, the award-winning crunch time. The Honda's seven-year sale ends June 13. A set of key topics to get through in the crunch. Crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. Let's get into it. Where do you expect the Suns, Tom Lynch, to be next year, Kane? Uh, in Melbourne somewhere. Probably, you think, Collingwood. But he, I, I can't see any way that he's at the Suns hearing Stuart Jew speak during the week. I think it's a foregone, foregone conclusion that he, he's out of there, unfortunately. Richmond, Collingwood, Hawthorne. Mm. I would think they're the three clubs. Bob, do you feel like he's out of the Suns? I get the feeling he might be out of the Suns too, Jared. I, I, I'm going with the, what it, player used to... Coach me, you know, your first option's always your best option. The Tigers, I think. I think that's they, they seem the keenest earliest. Crows, Tom Lynch, Kane? Well, I've got a theory on this one. I think the Crows are happy to let him go. Now, they've offered him a three-year contract that is very modest in terms of his ability. Um, and if he signs it, he signs it all well and good. But I get a theory they're trying to absolutely load up for the draft. There's a number of really good South Australians. So they've already got Melbourne's first-round pick as part of the Jake Lever deal. They'll get their pick, obviously, and then I think they would get a first-round pick for Lynch and possibly, if Sloan left, which I don't think he will, I think he'll stay, but they could have four first-round picks in what they're saying is an absolute super draft. So I get the feeling the Crows are happy to move Tom Lynch on, so I think he'll be back in Victoria, maybe even back at St Kilda where it all started. Well, let's use that cue for St Kilda. Uh, Alan Richardson at his press conference yesterday um, leaning on a number which... <laughs> sort of belies their results. Well, number one in the competition, you wouldn't believe this for for possession efficiency. So uh, it's it clearly there's a there's a big part of what we're trying to do is working. Uh, there's some some finishing parts that, that haven't been working, but uh, our job is to to give clarity to the to the players in terms of what's not working, and then we and then we get to work on the training track. It's probably as simple as that, really. 
Number one for possession efficiencies. There's a different set of numbers which mm. are particularly unflattering, Terry. Yeah, there is. And uh, just uh, I was coming back in the plane uh, today from Sydney and I just sort of sat back and wanted to concentrate a little bit, Kane, on having a look at them since that round 16 game where they played uh, and won against Richmond. So, so good. And when we spoke the other week, um, you know, they kept going back to that game as being, you know, this is what we can do. I had a look at the numbers since then, and they are really horrific. Uh, from that time onwards, last year, they uh, so round 17, they lost to Essendon by 61 points. Uh, they lost to Sydney by 42, lost to Port by 2, uh, beat West Coast Eagles by 8, lost to Melbourne by 24, beat North, who had put everyone in for operations at that stage of the year, then lost to Richmond by 41 in the last game. JLT, they got beaten by Carlton and Melbourne. I'm not going to go through all mm. this year's games, but when you then sit there and think, well, they've only won one game this year, being round one, from that, they've won three lost 15 and had a draw. So their win-loss ratio since round 16 of last year has been 16%. The worst side in the competition last year was Brisbane, went at 23%. So those numbers, it's hard to put up any argument when you're stacking up those numbers. It was a bit of political spin, wasn't it? Number one for disposal efficiency. I'd like to know what their disposal efficiency and where they rank in the forward half of the ground. It's all well and good being able to chip 15 metres sideways and backwards under no pressure in your Correct. back half. I'd like to see what that is when the pressure is on. When 16% yeah. win-loss ratio and some thumpings in that time. You know, I'm talking around that 40-point range, some absolute thumping. So, gee, there's a lot of work. There's got to be a lot of analysis on just what is going wrong with the St Kilda Footy Club. If the Eagles beat them, as we all expect them to do, it'll be 10 in a row. The last time a team won double figures on the trot was Sydney in 2014. And before that, it was Hawthorne when they won the flag and Collingwood in their two good years. Geelong when they won the flag. St Kilda and Geelong when they played off. Geelong when they won the flag. Is, is This is... 10 in a row is so rare mm. in the competition as it is, and the Eagles are on the cusp of it. And how important it is for that team, the Eagles, to qualify top two, do that, they play off for the grand final. Yeah. So they just need to win, as clearly, to finish top two. Top four is good, but top two is so important for them because no one's going to beat them. I said the a couple of weeks ago that this West Coast Eagles side is doing it differently than the Eagles sides of the past. I thought they've played more pure football in the past. Their win against GWS, which was really windy conditions the last quarter, they kicked into the breeze. They just played tough and hard down, no, the, that day. down the line. Uh, even the win against Hawthorne. I mean, I thought Hawthorne planned so well to take them on last week. Clarko did everything that he possibly could do to get Hawthorne across mm. the line, but they just willed themselves to be able to win that game with some of their best players not playing that well in that game. So they're, they're winning tougher than what yeah. I've seen them win uh, previously. Bob, you're about to see the first team come off the bye. This was Ken Hinckley about Port. We're pretty good off the bye, and we have been. You know, I think in my time, I think we're three and two or something. And uh, you know, one of those losses was Geelong last year by two points and a heartbreaker. So I think our form coming out of the bye is pretty pretty consistent. Hopefully, it'll be the same again this week, and it needs to be because we know the the challenge of Hawthorne in Tasmania. We know how good they've been down there. Port freshened, Hawth Hawthorne still going along. Is how do you view these matchups? Oh, it's a it's a really intriguing one down here in Tassie today. Um, I think the thing with the bye and. And Ken Hinckley, you know, he sounds, sounds really, really confident. 
but there, when I played in Kane, I'm not sure if you could speak to this as well, but there, there was a genuine worry after a buy of, you know, would the group be a little... Because the benefit of the buy is probably not the first, the, the, the week mm. after. It, it's of two, three, four weeks down the track where, where you get that benefit. So there, there is that worry of, does it just take the edge off a group... Um, in the in that first game back, and you know, and we'll, we'll I'll get a really good look at it today with Port Adelaide because uh, Hawthorne are pretty handy down here in Tassie. Spare a thought for Robbie Gray as well. He had a sick child, you say, a young child. So he's on the five thirty plane from Adelaide oh. to Melbourne. So he's gone Melbourne via Melbourne into Tasmania, and he's got to play uh, very very shortly. So a long day for Robbie Gray, but he's that good. He'll probably end up being best on ground. So just very quickly, last year off the bye, there was seven winning teams and 11 losing teams off the bye. So not definitive, but just marginally in favour. I've always, when I was coaching, I always thought it was better mid-season, a little bit different when you're getting the finals, but mid-season to have continuity over the rest period. And I completely agree with Bob. The rest does you well over the next month and gives you an advantage on other sides. But that first week, oh, it's tough. They structure it differently. Sorry to jump in, Jared. They, they give the players midweek off, so f- a couple of days off midweek. They got them back on Friday just to have a, a light run around. Then Saturday, they had a full-on match hit out. So almost like they played a game a week ago. So that's why they structure it differently, and it's having good results. Is Hayden Ballantyne finished at Freo? Yes. Kane? Should have been finished 12 months ago. Okay. Is it now or never tomorrow for the Giants, Terry? Yes, and I think it's never. I don't think that they'll stack up. And they're big players for me that are letting them down. I just don't think that they're doing the job. Starting with Rory Lobb in the ruck, but uh, Patton, Cameron down forward, uh, Tomlinson. You go through their bigger players in their numbers over the last month, and they've been the ones that are letting them down. Bob, when you saw the Swans' Indigenous Guernsey last night, does it solidify in your mind that we, we just don't use these enough? 100%, Jared. I think I think with the, the clash jumpers that that clubs uh, go to. I think we've got these beautiful Indigenous jumpers that tell a story. They're a symbol for a lot of good in the game. And I think the Swans have... I think they, they've won the gold medal if there was a medal for it this year. That that was a striking jumper. They win. It was unbelievable. OK. I've got one of save for the bottom of the crunch. How's J.R. Smith going when he wakes up <laughs> this morning? And what would the first conversation have been between LeBron James... And J.R. Smith, which wouldn't have happened yet. I can't believe... Silent treatment. Yeah, I can't believe he's come up with the right words yet. Oh, it was so flat. We were talking about it off air, but that was... So, you and I, well, I watched every minute oh, so of this. I. And I'm I not cannot a... think of a sporting event I got to the end of and was flatter about. And I'm not a massive basketball person, but I watched every bit of it and watching it unfold. And, and Jared, you made the point. They had three or four chances just to close this out. They got dudded a couple of times. Yeah, this guy's dropped 51 points. He's trying to be better than Michael Jordan and... Um, you could not carry a team any more than what LeBron James who is doing Who knew you right had now. to tell your mates what the score was? What was he thinking? Oh, who, he missed just... the, who missed the free throw? He's the, he's oh, the happiest yeah. Cavalier. Yeah. He's George the only Hill. happy Cavalier. My good, so, Bob, does, he, does J.R. Smith understand what he's done? Because this was about all time. This wasn't about one game or even one series. This was about all time. Well, if he didn't, I think he does now. I think he does. I think LeBron did the right thing walking out of the press conference because otherwise he was going to be totally thrown under the bus. Yeah. (laughs) And it just, like, it it kills the series, I reckon, the way they went through overtime. LeBron was about to be, we were about to hold a parade. 
I would have been flat if that happened at the under 10s. Now you might yeah. remember him more than LeBron. <laughs> Is that possible? <laughs> There's no change in any of the teams this afternoon. Hawthorne, Port Adelaide and the Bulldogs and Melbourne. That's been crunch time. Terry Kane, Bob, thank you. Enjoy the footy that's to come yeah, today. It's been crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.